Guys, if you have your Bibles, our primary text this morning is going to be Psalm 139. Uh, Psalm 139, so if you have your Bibles, you want to open that up and, and find where that is, that'll be helpful. Um, we're going to read a good chunk of that psalm. And um, we'll also be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, but I'm, I'll put that up on the screen for you. But So our primary text in your Bibles will be Psalm 139. We have just a few weeks left um, in our series, Lies We Believe and the Truth that sets us free. And, and you guys remember the premise of this entire study is that we have a very real enemy named Satan who's raising up arguments against the knowledge of God. And so uh, there's a battle going on, a spiritual battle for our minds, whether or not we're going to believe the truth of God's word and what God says about us and who we are, or we're going to believe Satan and what he says about us and who we are. And when we believe and when we listen to and believe the wrong voice, it has a disastrous impact on our lives, right? Because when we begin to think the wrong things, we then feel the wrong way about ourselves. We, we act and we do the wrong things. Acting and doing the wrong things and feeling the wrong way then reinforces the lie that you believe that becomes a stronghold. And so our goal is to break free of those strongholds. And the stronghold that we're going to kind of target this morning, I'll just tell you in advance, is, is codependency. Right? When we don't believe the right thing about ourselves and we don't believe the right thing about who God created us to be or who God created um, some spouse to be for us, uh, it can have disastrous consequences on our lives and our relationships. And so this morning, that's kind of where we're headed. Um, but to get there, I'll just tell you uh, up front, we need prayer. Um, so we need to ask the Holy Spirit to work in our lives because this is one of those subjects we don't like to talk about. We don't even like to think about, right? We, we, we just don't want to touch that. And, and so we said some of these lies are going to get a little personal, and this is one of those things. And so let's just ask the Holy Spirit to, to guide us, to comfort us as he reveals the truth of God's word to us this morning. Okay, pray with me. Father, um, thank you for loving us. And we are so glad that you are God who says, come as you are. That we get to show up and be in church, and we don't have to change who we are first. Right? We don't have to change our behaviors first, but you just say, come as you are. Come broken. Come weary. Just come as you are. I will take care of the rest. And so, God, I, we, we, just, we give you praise for that. Um, this morning, as we open up your word and we study who you've made us to be and, and how you've made us to live in relationship, I just pray for any wrong thought that we believe, any lie, that you would just reveal the truth of your word to us, that you would change our hearts from the inside out. Holy Spirit, we recognize um, every week here that you are the teacher of this church. You are. You are our, our, our shepherd. You are our guide. And we pray that you would lead us in the ways of Jesus this morning, that you would open up the scriptures to our hearts, and our hearts would burn as we study them, as we hear them, and that we would be changed from the inside out. Jesus, we ask all these things. We pray all these things in your holy, powerful, and precious name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, I realized how old I was this week as I was doing um, some study about uh, the illustration I'm going to open with here in a second. So the movie came out in 1996, okay? Had Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger, um, and the movie's title is Jerry Maguire, right? She knew, she, I know Jerry Maguire. Now, some of you had, didn't watch Jerry Maguire. It was rated R. God love you. It's awesome. Um, I did. I, I remember when it came out. I remember the movie. And the premise of the movie, right, is Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise's character, he is a, he, he's not just a sports agent. He's like the top sports agent in the game. He makes more money than anyone else. He's got the, he's got the top clients, the, the, the next number one player in the NFL draft. That's his client. And, uh, and so he's, he's kind of going about doing life. He's kind of killing it. And and all of a sudden, one night, he has this epiphany that everything is in the industry is wrong. 
And, and so he stays up late and he writes this manifesto of how messed up the sports um, representation industry is. And he says, you know what? Um, we are so focused on money that we're driving young people and we're putting them into places and onto teams where we know they're going to fail, but we do it because we know that's where the most money is and then we get the most money. And so he kind of writes this manifesto. He says, that's not how it should be. You know what? We should, we should have less clients and we should focus on their actual needs and focus on getting them in a place where they could succeed. And, and you know, he writes this manifesto, he puts it in everybody's box, and the next morning, everybody reads it, and when he comes out from his hotel room for breakfast, everybody's like, yeah, man, way to go, man, you finally said what we were all thinking, way to go, brother, way to go, and then they fire him, right, like, you're fired, you're out of here, when he gets fired, he's like, that's fine, man, I'll start my own company, and I'm going to do it the right way, and I'm going to have less clients, I'm going to focus on their needs, and so he goes to the office and goes, hey, man, you guys read it, who's with me? right? Who's with me? Who's with me? Anybody? And it's like crickets chirping. And so I think he scoops out the goldfish or something. He's like, he's with me. Anybody else? And that's when Renee Zellweger is just like a little secretary, pops her heads up. She's like, I'll go. And she packs up her box and she runs out the door and follows him. Of course, she's a single mom. She has no business taking that kind of risk. The story goes that she falls in love with him. They get married. They have nothing but one client, right? Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, all the other people in the firm um, called all of his clients and stole them, said, man, he's lost his marbles. You don't want to go with him. And so he, he's one client less, left Cuba Gooding Jr. screen. Show me the money! You remember that? Okay. Right. So the way the story goes, they get married. Um, Jerry falls in love with her kid. Her kid is awesome, knows all kinds of great facts about the human brain and how big it is. Uh, and uh, the story goes that their marriage doesn't work out very well because the truth is Jerry's not ready for that kind of relationship. So on the biggest night of, of their professional life, when their one client plays the game of his life, he's been playing uh, all season without a contract. He's about to cash in as a free agent. He, he has the game of his life, Rod Tedwell, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character. You know I've seen the movie a couple times, right? So the uh, game of his life makes the game-winning catch, gets knocked out, hangs on to the ball. Finally, he wakes up, and he gets up and does his celebration, and it's all good. And, uh, and Jerry, in the midst of all that, realizes he's missing something. He realizes that she's not there. And so he gets on a plane and he flies home and he walks into her mother's living room where there is a support meeting for divorced women going on. And he busts in the door and she was bending over behind the couch and she stands up and he sees her and he says, okay, so we're going to do this here. All right. We had a very big night tonight for our company, but it wasn't the same because you weren't there. And that's what he says to her, right? I love you. You complete me, right? You complete me. She's crying. Of course, she says to him, you had me at hello. Right? Awesome movie writing. So listen, that, that, that line, you complete me, sells tickets, but I want you to understand this morning, it may sell tickets, but that doesn't mean it's true. And so, so here's the lie that we're going to address this morning. And it's one that many of us have fallen into this trap. Ready? The lie is my spouse should complete me. My spouse should complete me. <clears throat> now most people here would agree uh, that there's not really such a thing as a, as a perfect spouse. Like all the ladies, I would say, there's no such thing as a perfect husband. And they would say, amen, right? Right? Now, all the men, since they're sitting next to their wives, um, they wouldn't say that. They wouldn't say that. In fact, now, if we took a men's retreat way deep into the woods, uh, 
where if a tree fell, you couldn't hear it, uh, and I asked that question of the men, they might just barely mouth amen at that point. You know, and there's no such thing as a perfect spouse, and they would still think she's around here somewhere. She, do you have your phone on? Did, did everybody turn their cellular devices off? I think, I think Alexa can listen to us, even when, did you put that, okay. My wife's not perfect. <gasps> See, the truth is, we all kind of know that that's the reality. Like, there's no such thing as a, as a perfect person. And so, we'd say, like, listen, my, no, no, like, ladies, you say, my husband's not perfect. Uh, guys, you say, my wife's not perfect. But you know what? She is perfect for me. Right? I mean, she ain't perfect, man. She is perfect for me. God, just for me, she's just right. Yes, she is. My wife's not here, so I can preach like that. Ooh, uh, 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 uh. She, for me. Right? We can preach that way when our wife is out of town. As long as your phone is off, I don't care. <laughs> Good. She's not going to go back and watch the live feed. Hi, by the way. Um, so here's what I'm going to submit to you. While, while we haven't bought into the lie that, that our, our spouse is perfect, I do think many of us have bought into this thought of perfect for me. And you see, the problem with that is when we believe that somebody is perfect for us, what we're saying is we believe that that person completes us. Right? That that person is God designed perfectly to be our better half. You've used that language before, right? And when we say that somebody is our better half, that they're, they're better than we are, that, that, that together the two of us now somehow are better than we could ever be, we place expectations on that person that I would submit to you are only meant to be fulfilled by God himself. And so it leads to great damage and dysfunction in marriage. And so this morning what I want to do is I just want to tear apart that lie one step at a time. Just one step at a time. So I'm going to share with you three truths that are going to build on top of each other. Three theological truths that I think when we get to the end of it, you'll say, okay, now I can see it clearly. That there's no way that my spouse could truly complete me. Okay, so here's the first thing you need to understand, all right? And it begins with God's design. So we start here, right? God knit us together with an eye on the eternal. So, so if we're going to kind of get to the root of this lie um, that, that my spouse is supposed to complete me, first we have to know who we are, who God made us to be. And so I'm in Psalm 139. We're going to read from verse 1 all the way through verse 16. And here is what the word of the Lord says. Uh, David writes, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You've placed your hand upon me. We're just saying that in essence, right? Above and below me, before and behind me, Christ be all. You've encircled me, uh, David says. You've placed your hand on me. This is wondrous knowledge. Uh, this wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty. I'm unable to reach it, he cries. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle in the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not darkness to you. The night shines like the day, darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the 
the earth. Right? Look at verse 13. I put it on the screen for you. Listen to what the, 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 the psalmist declares, right? For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together and my mother's womb. And so here's the declaration, right? The psalmist is saying, God, David's right, like God... You are the reason that I'm here. I'm I'm not just a result of my parents' procreation. He said there was something more to it than that. It's not just that mom and dad got together, laid down, and all of a sudden, nine months later, here I was. He said, like, God, God, you're an intricate part of this process. And and he said, and here's how intricately it is that, that you are the one that is responsible truly for my being, not my parents. And while my parents both give DNA, that you, creator of the heavens and the earth, are the one that knits that DNA together to make a unique person in me. That's what the psalmist declares. It's like, like, I am different, God, because of your hand. You, the God of heaven and earth, creator of all, have made me. And, and, and get this, it wasn't just some distant, non-personal kind of creation. Did you catch the language? He doesn't say, um, God, uh, from on your throne, upon high, you spoke, and there I was. He doesn't say, God, from from your throne on high, you gave a command. My parents got together, and then I was created. He's not saying, God, you were distant from my creation. He says, no, you, God, are the one who knit me together. Now, how many of you ever tried to knit or crochet? Don't raise your hand, man. Okay, I had one man say I did. Okay, that's okay. No, come on, anybody try to knit or crochet? Has anybody seen someone knit or crochet? Man, God bless you people. Y'all are awesome. Uh, I can't do that, right? If I need a sweater, I'm going to go buy a sweater because it would take me years to do it. I'd freeze in the process. Anyway, but, but here's what I appreciate about those people. They have this patience and focus that I don't have. Uh, each little loop, right? Each little strain. When you have to take the yarn and, and run it through that place and pull it back through. And it's all got to be just the same. And it's all going to like, like this is what, this is how involved God is in your creation. I mean, the, the, the Bible doesn't say that God spoke you into being. It wasn't just speaking. God actually knit you together. Every single molecule of, of your being, God pulled together. That's the reason that you're you. This is a hands-on kind of project. God, God was intimately involved in forming you. And intimately informing you, the Bible says that he, he, he did this in the innermost places of your being, right? In the innermost places, it says your innermost parts. And, and check this out, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, right? In those innermost parts, watch this, he made everything appropriate to his time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. He put eternity in their hearts. And so here's the deal. When we put those two verses together, we say, what does that mean? When we put those two verses together, what it means is that God knit us together in a very special way that differentiates us from all other creatures. God knit us in, uh, together with an innate knowledge that there is more to life than appears to the eye. Like we have this within our chest. When God made us, he designed us in such a way that a part of us would always realize that there's more to life than what the world would tell us. That we were created in the image of an eternal being and there's got to be something more to life than this. I bet you're here this morning and you felt that way at some point in your life. You know why? Because an eternal God knit you together and created you in his image. And he made you with an eye on eternity. So if we're going to talk about whether or not somebody can complete us, we have to begin with how we're formed in fashion. And we are formed in fashion by an eternal God who knit us together uh, so that part of us would long for eternal things. Okay? So that's where we begin. Second step. This is what we build upon that. Ready? Number two. No person 
or thing is capable of making us whole. Only Jesus can do that, right? No person or thing on earth is capable of making us whole. Only Jesus can do that. And so this eternal longing that God knit into our being, um, it cries out to be fulfilled. This eternal place that God made deep within our innermost part, it cries out to be fulfilled. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, and he's talking about people that have already met Jesus. Even as Christ followers, Paul said that our spirits, that our innermost part longs, it groans, he says, for the eternal kingdom of God. Right? So even as Christians, like even as people that have been made complete in Christ, we still have this inward groaning for the eternal things of the kingdom of God. And so this is the way it is with all mankind. Because God made, made all men, all women, God designed them, they knit them together with this desire within their chest that longs for the eternal things of God, not just the temporary things of man. And so uh, mankind, because we spend our lives as problem solvers, we spend our lives trying to figure out what will satisfy this deep desire within our chest, Right? And our lives are a testimony of this, aren't they? Right? I mean, we have spent countless days, countless, countless months, countless years pursuing um, things, right? Um, trying to figure out uh, how to forcefully fill this hole to, to find the missing piece that will finally fit and bring fulfillment to make us complete. And, and, and our testimonies, because of that, many of them go something like this, right? I've tried to fill this void in my life with, uh, with money. I thought, man, if, if I can just make enough, enough money, then, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel okay, right? If I, if I can make enough money, then I'll, I'll feel secure. Then I'll feel like I have value if, if, if I pursue that. Some of us have, have per, pursued um, uh, success, right? Man, if I can just get this title... Man, if I can become, I'm, I'm looking at Jen, so if I can become a, a head coach, right, or, 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 or I can do this, and somebody says, well, yeah, yeah, if I can, if I can get my, my master's degree, and they get their master's degree, and they get a job for a while, and they start working, and they go, you know what, I really need my doctorate. And, and then after their first doctorate, they think, you know, I, I don't know that that's everything. Maybe I should go get another doctorate. They die in, in, in school, is what they, and in debt. And so they, they, they pursue it. That way, right? Some, some people, it's just, it's just status. I, just, I, I need to be an influencer, right? That's the new thing. You, do, you don't have to have a job. You just have to take good pictures of yourself on Instagram, and you just become an influencer of life. If you can make life look easy to other people, you, you've got a job, right? You can sell stuff. Just be a mom that is always dressed up well, and, and all your kids are wearing the right stuff, and take the right pictures. It doesn't have to really be that way. You just have to stage the right pictures. And man, you can sell tons of books. Right? If I can just reach this status. And, and guys, what I'm telling you is this is the way we, we operate. Man, and when we, when we can do that, the other thing, what else do we pursue, right? This, this longing in our chest, we try to fill it with entertainment, don't we? Because after all, if we can't satisfy this longing in our chest, at least we can, um, at least we can like forget about it for a while, right? At least we can take our mind off of the fact that we know we're missing out on something. So we pursue entertainment. Sometimes it's not entertainment, friends, sometimes it's just pleasure, right? We pursue the next dopamine hit in our brain that will make us stop feeling the hurt of the longing inside of our chest. And so maybe that's drugs, maybe that's alcohol, maybe it's sex, maybe it's pornography, you name it. But the ache and the longing never seems to go away. Why? Because God, when he created us, did so. And like all master craftsmen, he made us and he gave us a maker's mark. You know what a maker's mark is? Something that identifies the person that made it. 
And so when God created human beings, he gave them a maker's mark. And that maker's mark was the fact that they were created in the image of an eternal God. And so this, this feeling that you have deep within inside of your chest that there's got to be more to life than this, this thing in you that constantly cries out for the eternal instead of the temporal, that wants the things of God even though you don't, you don't know what it is, that this thing that says, I've got to have more, that thing within you is actually the maker's mark of God and he placed it there so that you would long for him. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so if it, it, The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Colossians 1.16. He says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created, ready? Through him and for him. Everything was made through Christ and was made for Christ, including us. We were made to be eternal beings. So that's where we begin, right? So God made us. He knit us together. When he knit us together, he did so with eternity. um, That that was supposed to be the aim. So he gave us this maker's mark, and and, and literally it was that that we would long for him. And, 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 And no person, no thing is capable of making us whole. Only Jesus can do that because we were made for him and by him, all right? So nobody else can fill this void in your life. We start there. That brings me to the last point. Last point. If we really want to dethrone this lie, we, we kind of have to go here. Ready? It's this, that sin is incapable of improving the human condition. Some of you are like, I am not following you, pastor. Just wait. We're going to get there, okay? Just want you to write it down for right now. Sin is incapable of improving the human condition, Right? And this is my favorite explanation of why it's impossible for a spouse to complete us. Uh, so I, we need to say this from the onset. So marriage is designed by God. Um, he, he created it, he institutes it, and he, he defines it. And, and, and marriage is defined as the uniting of one man and one woman in a covenant commitment to one another and unto God. And, and God chose this institution, he says in his word, to be an illustration of the gospel. Right? Jesus is the, the, the bridegroom. And he's going to pursue his, his church, which is, is the bride. Because of this, uh, Ephesians calls husbands then to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for. And it says, and wives, you are to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Now, here's the difference about Jesus and us. Jesus was perfect and sinless. Jesus is the, is the perfect bridegroom, and, and he's the one and only husband that has the ability to make his spouse perfect. Jesus is the only one, right? Because, because like, guys, we're not, we're, we're not perfect. I mean, ladies, I don't need to tell you this. You know this, right? Your husband ain't Jesus. Amen? You say amen. You're sitting next to him. It's fine. Hey, yours isn't even here. I mean, you say amen loudly. Amen. He's good, but he ain't Jesus. See, here's, here's the difference, right? Jesus is the only perfect person that has the ability to make someone else whole or pure. Only Jesus. And, and, and we, because we are sinful creatures, we don't have the ability to do that, right? Your spouse or your future spouse is a sinner. Period. Your spouse or your future spouse is, is a sinner. And sin is incapable of improving the human condition. So let's talk about the math of marriage real quick. Here's what the lie would say if we're going to do math. Right? The, the lie um, kind of works out this way. Right? The world says that I am incomplete and, 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 and my spouse is incomplete, but if I find the right spouse, they are going to complete me. 
right? They're going to complete me. So it's half of me plus half of them. And man, I tell you what, then we're going to make one whole person. That's what the world would say. Here's the problem with that equation. It doesn't take into account for sin. Doesn't take into account for sin. And listen, sin can never add value to the human condition. I want us to say that together. We're saying it together three times, okay? So I, I, first, I'll, I'll, I'll say it slowly, and I want you to just repeat after me, okay? Sin can never add value to the human condition. Now we'll try to say it faster. Sin can never add value to the human condition. And now you try to say it all by yourself. Sin can never add value to the human condition. Never. So here's the deal. This is, this is what changes. Therefore, somebody else can't be added to my life to improve me if they're a sinner. You following me? That's why that math that the world tries to sell us on doesn't work out because that person is a sinner and I am a sinner and I'm not going to be able to add value to their life. That is not how sin works. Sin never improves the human condition. Therefore, marriage is not that kind of math. It's more like multiplication than it is addition. So it looks more like this. Ready? It's half of me times half of them equals what? One quarter, not one whole. What I'm telling you is that when two sinners get married, it actually makes life harder, right? Because on your own and by yourself, then you just have to look at you in the mirror and you just have to deal with your junk every day. But when you get married to a sinner, you wake up and every day you've got to deal with your junk and their junk. That's the way that it works. And so when people try to pursue relationships apart from Christ, when they seek wholeness um, from a spouse, what they find out is they are deeply disappointed because life is actually harder than it was before. And some of you here this morning, that, that defines your marriage. You're, you're here this morning, the truth is, like you may not utter it to your spouse, you may only say it to your mom in, in secret passing after you've had a little bit of eggnog. I'm just not happy. He's just not doing it for me. And somewhere deep within inside your chest, you think if I can just find the right person, that'll bring about contentment. Meanwhile, you're placing all kinds of expectations upon your spouse that they were never designed to try to hold up under. Right? So, how is marriage supposed to work? Well, it goes back to the original design, which is found in Genesis. Here's how marriage is supposed to work, because we know that it's multiplication. It's supposed to look like this. One person made whole in Christ, doing life with another individual that's been made whole in Christ. You see, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. When marriage was instituted, they were whole. There, there was no sin in the world. And, and when one whole person is multiplied against one whole person, you get one new whole person. You get one flesh union that God intended for marriage to be. But hear me, because of sin, because of sin, that can't happen without Christ. And so here's what the Bible talks about. It says that those that would seek to get married need to be equally yoked. And so whether you're currently married or you're looking for somebody, you just need to know what equally yoked means. Equally yoked means that it's one person that has been completely fulfilled um, by Christ, that has, has given Jesus all of them and they've received all of Jesus. They've been made whole. They've been made complete. And they're marrying another person who has come to saving faith and knowledge in Jesus Christ who's been made whole and complete in Jesus. And only then can this thing called marriage work out. 
You follow me? Does it make sense? Yes, this is yes. This is no, this is I need more coffee. Okay? So here's the lie. Ready? The lie is my spouse should complete me. My spouse should complete me. And here is the truth. Ready? God designed our spouse to complement us, not complete us. God designed our spouse to complement us, not complete us. Only Christ can make us whole. All right? Only Christ can make us whole. The word for Eve in Genesis 2 is the Hebrew word ezer. It means that Eve was created to provide vital strength and support to Adam. She would be his encourager. And likewise, Adam was going to be her strength. He he, he would be her protector and her provider. But neither was created to replace God in the other one's life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Neither one was created to take God's place as sustainer, as all in all. Neither one was created for that purpose. Okay? And when we run into problems in marriage, it's usually because we're trying to stick our spouse into that space that only belongs to God. And we're asking them to try to be God for us. And my friends, that is nothing short of idolatry. And those consequences are damaging and you will crush your spouse under the weight of those expectations. You will be so unfulfilled that you will look in every place you can find trying to find somebody else that will complete you. And you'll be three marriages in before you realize you haven't found it still. Okay? So what do we do with that? I'm going to give you some application. Uh, Number one, uh, I think we have to start here. Whether you're currently in a relationship or you're looking to be in a relationship, you have to start with this truth that you must let Christ complete you. No one or no thing on earth can fulfill you, can complete you, can finish you. Nothing. Only Jesus can make you whole. That's it. And and so if you've been trying to shove anything or anyone into his place, you need to repent of that. And you need to say, Lord Jesus, I come before you. I realize that you have made me in your image. I, I realize that you have died so that you could make me whole. Please come and make me whole. You can have all of me. I will receive all of you. You have to start there. So that's where we start. Okay, here's the second thing you have to do. Once you get there... You have, to, you have to do this. You have to reassess your expectations of your spouse. You have to reassess your expectations of your spouse or your, your spouse-to-be if you're here and you're not married yet. This lie is so predominant in marital problems that I see. In fact, I, I'm going to tell you the majority of marriage problems that come into my office, they, they, they deal in this, in this category. So one of two things. Either um, the husband and the wife, they come to see me, and one of them is upset because they are unfulfilled. And they're unfulfilled because they're, they're, they've tried to make their spouse be that person that completes them. And they're going, listen, I'm not complete. They're, they're not filling my love tank. They're not listening to me. They, they don't do all the things that I want them to do. And, and the response is, I'm so sorry. It sounds like you're trying to put them in Jesus' place. Right? Because that'll create much chaos in your relationship if you try to take your spouse and just shove them into a place that only Jesus can fulfill. And, and so here's what those people do. 
Those people in those places typically have started trying to look somewhere else. They started trying to convince themselves. There is someone out there somewhere. There is someone out there somewhere that can complete me. I need to go find someone else. That's deadly. Okay? But the, the, the other thing that happens, the other side of that, is, is the person that's here. They, they, they put those expectations, those eternal weight, they put that eternal weight upon their spouse. And and what they don't understand is when you expect your spouse to fill a hole that only God can, you put the weight of eternity, the weight of, of, of an eternal God upon their shoulders, which they can't bear. So they start off in a deficit and they can never recover. And every day they wake up and they feel like a failure. Every day they wake up and they feel like they're not enough. Every day they wake up and they feel like, well, you know what? I should just quit because I can't do it. And so you've got to stop placing those expectations upon their shoulders only Jesus was meant to bear that burden. Do you, you, you hear me? This is huge. Some of you are going to have to do this. You're going to have to reset your expectations for your spouse. Which really leads me to the last point. Some of you aren't going to like it, but here it goes. Ready? Learn to rely on Christ for fulfillment and to complement your spouse in obedience to Scripture. Okay? Learn to rely on Christ for fulfillment and to complement your spouse in obedience to Scripture. I'm going to let you write it down, and then I want to tell you why it doesn't say something else. Make sure you jot it down. Learn to rely on Christ for fulfillment and to compliment your spouse in obedience to Scripture. Notice that I didn't say, let them compliment you. You know why I didn't say, uh, uh, you learn to rely on Christ for fulfillment and allow your spouse to, to compliment you. You know why I didn't say that? Because there is only one person you can change in your conflict map, and it's the person in the circle. That's you. That's you. If you want the key to being miserable in marriage is you do the things that God tells you to do and you keep waiting and looking for your spouse to do their part. You will be miserable. You will be miserable in marriage because that's not how it works. That's selfishness, right? And, and the selfish person, dude, they are never, ever content, ever. And so what I, what I say to the husband that comes to me and says, well, I, I don't know, my, my wife isn't giving me everything that I need. I say, that's great. You just love her and, and the way that Christ did, and you lay down your life for her. But what if she doesn't fulfill all my needs? God bless you that you get to worship God in obedience like that. I say, but, 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 but that's not fair, pastor. Well, you know what, friends? Like, like life's not fair. We don't all get a trophy, right? I mean, we, we may get a crown, but you know the people that won't get a crown are the ones that shake their fists at God the whole time going, God, it's not fair. My spouse doesn't love me the right way. They don't know my love language. They don't take me out on dates. They don't listen well enough. And at the end, you're going to be hoping for this crown. God's going to go like, you don't get the crown, man. You got the trophy earlier. You lived for a trophy instead of a crown. I'm sorry, my son, my daughter, man. That's on you. That's on you. So here's the deal. Here's what you can control. You can control your obedience to Jesus. That's what you can control. And what you have to do if you are married is focus on your role in marriage. And you have to be obedient to God in that. And you have to drop the expectations of your spouse. It's not about loving. Well, I'll love my wife as long as... As she submits to me as into the Lord, then I will love her. And by the way, when men say that, they're talking about sex. Just saying. The majority of men, I mean, they're talking about sex and money. That's it. That's all they care about. Just let me have a say in the budget and, and let's have a scheduled time. We're good. It's not hard. And men, what I'm going to say to you is that's, that's not okay. 
It's not okay to say, well, as long as my wife does it, as long as, as there's physical touch and she hugs me and she holds my hand, and then I'll take her out on a date. Then I will, I will turn off the TV so that we can talk. Then I will help with the dishes around the house or I'll help get the kids ready for a bit. Then I'll do that if she does this. That is not how life works and that is not obedience to Jesus. That is you trying to put your wife in the place of God. That is idolatry. Only Jesus can fulfill your needs. Only Jesus. And when you get to the place that Jesus is your everything, and and that you're walking in that abundance uh, and fruit that comes only from Him, then you can be obedient to Christ, even if you don't get anything in return. And and somebody says, well, well, what is that going to look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. Most of you that are married, how many of you that are married, you've, you've got at least, at least a child? Multiple children, okay, multiple children, right? Okay. Which is kind of like trying to tread water and hold a baby at the same time. Uh, yeah, that fourth one is like, whoop. It's difficult. Five, don't even, that's a whole nother ball, okay? You're calling in a lifeguard to help out. If you've got kids, this is what it looks like, Ready? So why should I do that? Why should I be obedient to Jesus? I mean, other than the fact that if I love him, I'm going to obey his command. Why should I do that and and continue to be unfulfilled? Ready? Because your kids are watching. That that whole talk, I shouldn't just be married because my kids. Who do you think you are? You're writing a legacy for generations, my friend. And that legacy will be there. It'll be a legacy of obedience and and blessing or it's going to be a legacy of, of sin. Right? which could be punished to the second and third generation. Or it could be something for a thousand generations, those that love him are called according to his name. Right? And so here's, here's the deal. This is what I, I would tell, whether it's the husband or the wife that is struggling with, I don't know if I want to be obedient because the other person is not doing what I want. I say to them, listen, at the end, when you breathe your last breath, if you were married to somebody that never loved you the right way, but you loved them biblically, and you served them the way that you were supposed to, your kids got to see your witness. And they know what being faithful is. And you know what? If I die with my kids knowing that I was faithful, then I did it right. Then I did it right. Period. Period. Listen, marriage is tough. Right? Because we're not whole. Because of sin, none of us are whole apart from Christ. And and so we're, we're reading a book in our small group, When Sinners Say I Do. And when you live in a marriage with another sinner, dude, you wake up every day on the brink of war, right? I mean, every day you wake up on the brink of war. Like war could break out at any given time because you're a sinner. And dude, you got all kinds of baggage, but they are also a sinner and they have all kinds of baggage. And so you can either wake up loaded with the gun, right? Going, going, or, or you can choose to leave it behind. So man, I'm just gonna, just gonna be obedient. And husbands, I, I would just tell you as a man, I think that's the way to go, right? Because you may have a gun, but she's got a cannon. <sighs> just telling you. Put away the gun, get a white flag. Say, Jesus, you're my king. I'll be faithful. I'll find my fulfillment in you. And I will serve you, and I will serve her because of you. All right? And that is what marriage is supposed to look like. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. I pray that it resonates with us. Many of us here today have tried to seek fulfillment in the arms of an individual. 
And, and when that hasn't worked out, we've been angry. We've been angry at them. We've been angry at you. We've chosen not to love people the right way because of, of uh, the fact uh, that we're idolaters, that we've tried to put somebody in your place. And so, God, this morning, what we need to do is we just need to repent of it all. We need to repent of it all. Jesus, you and you alone can make us whole. So this morning, that's our hope. That's our prayer. That's what we want to cry out for. Guys, just with your heads bowed for a second, I'm going to have Jacob come just for a second. He's just going to play something on the, on the piano and quietly. And, and here's, here's what I want you to do. Uh, just a very simple prayer. We're not going to have a, uh, an invitation. We're not going to have an altar call. Just kind of a, a, a simple, um, simple deal. And uh, here's what we're going to do. Just where you are with your eyes closed. If you're here and you know that this is spoken to you. And you realize you've been putting expectations on your spouse that only God can fulfill. You know that you have not been finding your fulfillment in him. Just right now, I just want you to say, God, I, I realize today that I'm yours. That you created me this way. And that only you can have this spot in my life. God, take that spot. I just want you to, just right before the Lord, I just want you to repent of trying to put somebody else there. A spouse or a thought of a future spouse. God, I'm so sorry I've placed that expectation on them. That is not right. That is not okay. God, deal with my heart right now. So right now, just you where you are. If if you've dealt with this, man, I just want you to pray. Just pray to God right where you are. You just begin now. Some of you, you're not married. You say, I don't know how this applies to me. Yeah, you do. It's your boyfriend list, man. It's your girlfriend list. You're looking for all these, you're looking for this perfect person to complete you. And the truth is only Christ can do that. For anybody here, any other idolaters in the room other than myself that would say, I have looked to a relationship to try to fulfill me. And I know that that is your job, Christ. I repent. I repent. I'm yours. It's right there in your heart. Just in your heart. This is an act of confession. If that's you, and you need to repent of that, just where you are, nobody's looking, you just raise your hand and say, God, I'm repenting this morning. I'm repenting. I've placed somebody in that place. They're not meant to be there. It's awesome. I've got a couple. But else? God, I'm repenting. I've, I've, I've tried to put these expectations on my husband, on my future husband. I've tried to put these expectations on my wife. God, I'm repenting. Jesus, just you. I want to be fulfilled by just you. I know that you're the only one can make me whole. It's not too late. Anybody else just wants to cry out, Jesus, make me whole, please. Anybody else, Jesus, just you make me whole. Just you. Just raise your hand. Just you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm looking for hands. I'm going to pray for them. Jesus, I need you to make me whole. Just you. No one else. Just you. All right. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, for every hurting heart that's gathered, I pray that they would find wholeness in you, Christ. I pray that they would find salvation in you, Christ. Jesus, I pray that they would understand that you have stepped out of heaven and into humanity for their sake, that you died on a cross for their sins, that you have great value for them, and that you will complete them if they will allow you. So God, if there's anyone here that has not done that, Lord, today, would it be the day they finally give up control? God, for every marriage here that's hurting because of misplaced expectations, 
Whichever spouse is here, maybe they're both here, but maybe it's just one. Would you, would you work in each of their hearts just to lay down those burdens, to lay down that expectation, to say, God, I am sorry for putting them in your place. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, couples, I need you to look up here, husbands and wives, I want you to see me. If that describes you at some point this week, you need to tell your spouse, husbands, you need to say to your wife, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have expected you to fill this place of God in my life. I'm sorry that I have not found all my fulfillment in him. I'm going to try not to place his weight upon your shoulders anymore. Same thing, wives, same discussion. Same discussion. I will view you as a help, right? I know that you're meant to complement, not to complete. Not to complete. And you guys know, you know it, right? If you've struggled with codependency, you know it. (laughs) You see it in every area of your life. So this morning, it's a call to get it right. Amen? All right. We're going to ask our ushers to come forward. We're going to take up the morning offering. Um, Guys, I want to let you know that when we talk about offering, we're talking about tithes primarily. And we're talking about taking up our tithes. We also do collect above and beyond your tithe. And so this morning, if you can give above and beyond a tithe, that's great. We call that an offering. And, uh, And right now, one of the places we'd ask you to pray about giving that offering above and beyond your tithe to is to our future growth fund. All right, and um, we, we just voted as a church to release funds to enter a planning phase. We had a great meeting with our architects where we're actually talking about um, commercial kitchens, ladies. How many ladies would be happy about a commercial kitchen, amen? All right, we're talking about additional space. Um, when, we, when we initially did the drawings, like two years ago, we had all this upstairs, like we, we weren't gonna put in an upstairs, and we thought, you know what, it's, it's, it's so much cheaper now to put in the infrastructure to do this. That So we're just thinking ahead, and the Lord's just opening up some avenues. We're super excited about it. But guys, I'm just going to be honest. It's going to take sacrifice on behalf of every family. So the second Sunday in December, we're going to take up a special offering. You don't have to wait till then. You can give to this beforehand. That means that you may have to adjust your Christmas budget a little. It means that you may have to adjust your savings amount a little. Um, but that's what we're going to ask. We're going to ask that every family would sacrifice to do this, okay? Guys, uh, let me pray for us as we take up uh, the morning offering, okay? Father, thank you for loving us. Um, we ask right now that you would um, remind us of how much you've done for us. We're going to ask that you would bless um, this time, that you would take whatever is given, that you would multiply it for your kingdom and for your glory. Jesus, we love you. We need you. It is in your name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.